But as we begin Missions Month, I want to begin uh, with this passage from the Gospel of Luke. It's a passage that we're probably, uh, if you're familiar with it, it's because you've grown up around the church or you've heard it because it's used often as a, as a lesson on how we should treat others. And so if you're willing and able, uh, will you stand as we read God's Word together this morning from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part, given for our good and for his glory. Let us pray. As gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, would you bless us? Would you use your word this morning to cut us, to convict us, to instruct us and encourage us? ultimately to bring us to the cross of Christ. As we pray this morning, that your spirit be at work in your words, drawing us ever closer to you in faith and in love, in dependence, the work of Christ on our behalf, in whose name we pray, amen. So like I said, this is a, a parable that we're, we're probably very familiar with, uh, even um, those that, that have not been around the church much, you've probably heard of the Good Samaritan. And so I want to start this morning by really retelling this parable and helping us see how stark this would have been to the original audience. And so if you will, with me, there was an old man. Uh, he was in a downtown one Friday evening. And uh, he, he was come upon by some, some thugs, some robbers, some thieves. And they mugged him. And they robbed him, and they stripped him of his clothes, or most of them. And they left him for dead on the sidewalk down in Scott's Edition. It just happened that that evening, there was a, a local a PCA pastor from Sycamore Presbyterian Church named Marty Cates, who was going to meet some friends at his favorite brewery, Ardent. And he happened by this man, and as he saw him and he began to approach him, he, he crossed the street. 
and passed by on the other side to continue on to meet his friends. It wasn't that much later that, that a worship director named Mike Brakehall coming down the street to, to go and meet his wife for dinner at lunch and supper saw the man as well and crossed over to the other side of the street to pass by him and continue on to meet his wife. And then there was a third who came by, a shaved head that had been, hair that had been dyed pink, piercings in places you wonder why they got that pierced, tattoos all over her arms. She's a lesbian wearing a shirt that said, I can't breathe. She's carrying a brick in one hand. She's just come from some protest downtown. And to top it all off, she's wearing a face mask for the University of Virginia. She sees this man who's half dead on the side of the road. And she stops. And she begins to care for him. And she, she wipes away the blood. And she, she takes the man and helps him to his feet and, and takes him to her car and drives him down to VCU Medical. She takes him to the emergency room and, and she gives them her credit card and says, take care of him. And whatever it costs, because he doesn't have insurance, I will cover. And then she's on her way with the promise that she'll return to check on him and to settle any of the charges that might come from the hospital. That's how stark this would have been for that original audience. You know, we, we lose it when we hear Samaritans and Jews because we aren't Samaritans and Jews. But for the Jews, they would have been thinking that this was going to go something like this. Well, there was a priest, and, and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And there was a, a Levite, and he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And they were expecting Jesus to then say, but there was an Israelite. And look how good this Israelite was. And instead he said, and then there was a Samaritan. Their arch enemies, their rivals, hatred between these two groups. And this passage is, is a passage about being on mission. We, we see that at the very end, that, that Christ says, go and do. It sends on mission. So as we begin to, to think about Missions Month, this is a mission of neighborly love. What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to be on mission as one? I think this, this passage gives us four important steps to see. So that maybe we begin to see this parable not just as a nice parable we learn in vacation Bible school or grade school, but, but a parable that's teaching us even now what it means to be on mission for God, to show neighborly love. The first of these four steps is that it's an action. In verses 25 uh, to 22, Eight, you, you see that it's in action. The mission of neighborly love is in action. It's not just a religious discussion. It starts that way, right? I mean, if, if we didn't know much about the religious landscape of uh, Jesus' time, we could hear this and think this lawyer is just a really good Presbyterian, right? He, he, he's asking great questions. He wants to get down to the theological correctness of what is meant by love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with and love your neighbor as yourself. He, he wants to make sure that his doctrine is sound. And Jesus is supposed to be 
uh, somebody who, who's knowledgeable in these things. So he thinks, let's have the discussion. Let's get this all figured out and neat and tidy so we can go then and make sure that we're doing things correctly and well. We do this. Right? We're, we're, we're living in a time right now, even in our own city, of, of protest and, and debate and argument and, and violence and, and, and riots and looting. And, and while those other things have begun to die off, the protests remain around our country. And yet we, we as, as Presbyterians, as suburbanites, argue and, and, and try to make sure that we're, we're theologically and doctrinally correct and how we're approaching this. And so we have trouble talking about supporting Black Lives Matter because we don't want to be, be, be lumped in with capital B, capital L, capital M, even though we, we agree with lowercase b, lowercase l, lowercase m. We, we, we need to see that, that to be on mission for God and to be showing neighborly love is an action. It's not just a discussion trying to figure out the correct way of saying things. So he asked Jesus this, this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a, that's a very typical question for his time period. Most of the religions of, of Jesus' day were works-based religions. And so he's wondering, what's the things I got to do to get the eternal life? What do I got to do? We, we do this. We want the checklist. Even this morning, as we're talking about neighborly love, you're hoping that I'm going to give you a list of, of four or five things. If you go and do them, you'll have done the neighborly love. But here's the thing. It, while it, it is action, it's more than just a checklist. It's more than just a checklist. There's there's two problems as Jesus is discussing this action with this lawyer that he exposes in this conversation. First is that that lawyer is just trying to find that thing that, that he can mark off to make himself positionally righteous enough to inherit eternal life. And, and he's wanting that list, just like we do. Give me the checklist. And so Jesus exposes in this in him as he's talking to him. And the second thing he exposes is this lawyer really wants to put a limit on who his neighbor is. That he really wants to limit who his neighbor is. The good Jews of the day would have recited this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and your neighbor as yourself twice a day. The bad Jews maybe once or none. But the good Jews, the devout Jews, twice a day they would have recited this. But Jewish Midrash law at the time said that, that your neighbor was other Israelites, others of, of your own socioeconomic class, that really it was people that were like you. And so this lawyer is wanting to confirm that. He's wanting to confirm that, that he's been doing this already, really is what he's wanting to be confirmed in. That's why it says there before the parable even begins, after Jesus has said, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And he says, what? Who is my neighbor in order to justify himself? Because in his mind, he's already doing this. And so he's looking for justification. And, and, and Jesus blows this out of the water. He blows this understanding of, of neighbor out of the water. I know that this morning that there are people that, that, that the Spirit's already bringing to your mind names of, of individuals that God has put in your 
in your life and on your heart for you to, to show them neighborly love, for you to be on mission for God to them, showing them the love of God, the mercy of God. And we, we've got to realize that our little definition of neighbor that we so want to see limited is going to be blown out of the water this morning. But before we move on, we have to see that this is very, very clearly something that is done. Very clearly something that is done. And we see that because of how Jesus answers and even how the lawyer asks this question. What must I do? And Jesus says, do this and you will live. It is action. And, and it's always been this way. In, in that culture, in most cultures in the world, uh, and in history, even today, to believe something is to have some actions tied to it. To believe something is to have actions tied to it. It's really only unique to American culture and Western culture in the last 50 to 100 years that you can believe something and there not be action tied to it. It's really odd. M most of the, the other cultures around the world look at us and think about how weird this is, that, that our belief isn't always tied to our actions. And our actions, we think, are often divorced from our belief. But what I think we'll realize is that that's just not true. So we need to be reminded of what it means to be on mission. Mission, Showing this neighborly love to all people is not simply taking good sermon notes and discussing it over dinner or supper on Sunday with our families or covenant groups. No, what's supposed to happen is that we're to take the things that the Lord is teaching us and to put them into action. To go and to do. And so as we think about those people that God is calling us to and we want to see that, that narrowing of what it means as a neighbor because there's some people that are coming to our minds that maybe we don't really want to love. And so we're hoping that Jesus' answer of what is a neighbor, the gates get closed down a little to be able to exclude some of those folks that we don't want to love. There's an action that comes out of this. That God calls us to a mission not just to beliefs. We don't just feel that we have love for all people. We show we have love for all people by what we do, by how we act, how we move toward them with neighborly love. It's not just that it's an action. It's that there's risk involved, right? You, you see this with uh, verses 31 and, and to 33 as we get to the priest. So the, the man has now been beaten and left half dead and it says, now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. There's risk involved. There's risk involved for, for all in this passage. And they're logical risk. They're not just like make-believe risk. They're logical risk, right? The, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about 17 miles. It moves from approximately like 2,500 feet above sea level to Jericho that's like, you know, around 800 feet below sea level. So 17 miles, major elevation change over those 17 miles. If I was to put a picture up that showed the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, you would probably say to yourself, not a road I want to walk. Not a road I want to walk. And it, it was known to be dangerous, to, to, to be overrun with thieves and robbers, 
to those who, who would steal people off for the slave trade. It was not a, a good and, and nice place. And so there's the logical side of this for the priest and the Levite. Is they're, they're coming up on this man who's lying half dead, who's already been jumped, who's already been robbed, and they, they see him and, and they say, well, the, the, the robbers, this is, this, is, this is a, they're setting me up. They're probably just laying down on the other side of the hill or whatever, and they're waiting for somebody like me to walk up so they can jump me too. And so what do they do? They walk over to the other side to cross safely by. So there's risk involved. Physical risk. Risk to their health and their livelihood. And for the, for the priest and the, the Levite, there's also the, the whole piece of the ritualistic ceremonial law. That, that touching a dead body makes them unclean, makes them impure, and they have to go through all these ceremonial cleansing and, and, and rituals that are costly and time-consuming, and they don't have time for that. And so for them, there's, the, there's those risks that they have to take into consideration, and, and the risk to them outweigh the mercy and the compassion that should be shown to this man. There's risk for us. There's risk for you and I. But our, our compassion has to override these risks. It's not going to be safe for you and I to show God's love, to, to show neighborly love to the people of our community and of our city all the time. In fact, for some of those people that, that have been put on your mind this morning by the Holy Spirit, there's going to be moments where you're going to have to risk things to pursue them with neighborly love. And, and it, it, it's going to be, at times, our safety. At times, it's going to be our safety. It's going to be our livelihood. It might be our health. We, we, we might be being called to, to pursue people with neighborly love, to be on mission for God for people who are sick and dying and contagious. And, and to enter in and to pursue them and to be on mission with them is going to put our own health at risk. It, it, it might, might be our reputation or our social status that's put at risk. And, and this is real and known. Our students, our children know this more than we do. Because at their schools, which they haven't had in a while, so maybe they've forgotten, but before all of this, at their schools, when they saw someone sitting in the lunchroom over there by themselves that was an outcast, that wasn't well-liked, and they made the conscious decision to show that, that person neighborly love, and they went and sat with them, they risked their own reputation. They risk their own social status to show love to a fellow student. It's not just in those moments that we would applaud them for showing love that they have risk. They have risk on the other side of the aisle too. When there are people in their lives that they've been called to show love to that maybe don't live as we would want our children's friends to live like. Maybe they have a friend who might be gay. Or might be trans. And, and, and they decide, you know what, I, I'm going to love that person. I'm, I'm going to pursue them with neighborly love. I, I'm going to befriend them and be for them and be with them in hopes that I might win them to know the love of Christ and the grace of God. And the risk that they have there is that they, they start talking about their friends and they get told, you can't hang out with those kind of people. You can't be with those kind of people. Why? Because we're afraid of what it might do to us. 
or what it, what, what, it, what it might do to them, that they might be tempted and run off away from the Lord in apostasy. So they have the, the risk on both sides, the, the extending the love to, to those who are the outcasts and, and the, the unloved and, and the, the unpopular and their reputations at risk, but, but then showing their love on the other side. They're at risk of being judged by us. We, we have that same kind of risk as adults too, right? I mean, there are people that if we began to hang out with them and, and, and invite them into our social circles, that the rest of our social circles would stop inviting us around because they're shallow-minded, they're narrow-minded. They don't, they don't know or understand the grace of God, and so they don't see the beauty of showing neighborly love to those people. But we, we have to be willing to risk neighborly love to all people is going to take risk. Being on mission for God is going to mean we are taking risk. And we have this word with the Samaritan that I think is maybe the most beautiful word in the whole parable. When he saw him, he had compassion. And for those of us that have a relationship with Christ, that have been shown the mercy and the grace of God, we should see those in need. We should see those that are hurting and our hearts should be moved to compassion because the gospel is bigger than the risk. Because the grace of God overcomes our loss of reputation. Because the mercy and the compassion of our God overcomes the risk to our health and our safety. Neighborly love involves risk. It doesn't just involve risk, it's also inconvenient. Right? Verse, verse 34 after the Samaritan sees him and has compassion, he what? He, he stops. He, he, he goes to him. He, he bound up his wounds. He pours oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He had some reason he was headed to Jericho, the Samaritan did. He, he, he had business down there or, or some reason he was traveling. He had his own animal that he was riding at that time, a donkey or, you know, something and what happens? His, his compassion moves him to stop and, and to, to bound up his wounds and, and to pour oil on them and, and, and wine on them to help keep them from infection and begin to heal as he bandages them. And then he takes this man and he puts him on his own animal. And he takes them to the inn. And in verse 35 it says, and the next day, so he stayed overnight how inconvenienced he was. And I think out of all of the, the things, this is the one that's the hardest for us. This is the one that's the hardest for us because we don't like to be inconvenienced. We, we, we don't like for someone to, to stop us and, 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 and say, you know, uh, that they're going to take up our time when we're on our way to do something. Some of you have experienced this from me. You've seen me on a Sunday morning or at a church event and you could see, you know, probably the, the, the glint in my eyes that I've got something in my, my mind that I am, I am going to do, that I am on mission to go and complete some task or something, and you stop to say hello to me, and I've probably blown you off, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I read this, and it cuts my heart, because I don't like to be inconvenienced. Meredith can tell you more of the story, but 
I'll give you a brief part of it. We were students at Virginia Tech. It was our first year as members of the ACC conference. And we won the ACC football championship, which meant we got a trip to the Sugar Bowl to play Auburn. I organized a bunch of our friends to all go down together. Got a few hotel rooms, told everybody we were going to meet in Blacksburg at this time. We were going to drive down to New Orleans. We are going to have a great time. We were going to see the Hokies play in the Sugar Bowl. They were going to hopefully win. But I had this one thing. I didn't want to make all these bathroom breaks. It's a 17-hour trip from Blacksburg to New Orleans. So in my mind, I thought, I'm going to make everyone take sodium pills. And then we won't need to stop to go to the bathroom very much because we'll all be dehydrated. It's a terrible idea, by the way. But to me, it made sense. Because I didn't want the inconvenience of having to stop all the time. It was a trip of like 30 or 40 people. It had a whole bunch of like young women on it, the college age, with the bladders the size of you know, like a, a small water balloon. And I'm going, no, we, we, I don't want to stop all the time. Got to hold it. At one particular stop, um, either because the guy in, in, in the car, one of the cars that was following didn't have a map to where we were going or what, I, my car was ready to go. I had yelled at them all to quickly go to the restroom and get back in the car. And so we're back in the car and we're beginning to, to pull out of the parking lot. And, and one of my friends who's driving a minivan begins to pull out of the parking lot as well with um, the door still open. And um, a young woman who had not gotten into her seat and buckled herself in falls out of the car and tucks and rolls across the parking lot. She was fine. Not a big deal. Was a big deal. She was fine. Um, I felt horrible that, that that driver felt like he had to do that because of my impatience. We don't like to be inconvenienced. We don't. And yet here, what we see is that it is in the inconvenience that neighborly love is shown. You know, I, I don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't like to do things that are uncomfortable. But right now, we're being asked to wear masks in all kinds of places. And some of us just complain about wearing them and, and feel like we're making a point by not wearing them, about our freedom or whatever it might be. But, but isn't it neighborly love Put a mask on to show care for those who are really afraid, who are scared, who are vulnerable and high risk. We don't like to be inconvenienced. But, but the mission of God is one of inconvenience. It's also costly. It's costly. We see in verse 35 as it says that he, 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 the next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Denarii. One of them is a day's wage. You know, the average salary in the United States is about $56,000 a year. That means that roughly a day's wage, about $190, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. That was just off the top of my head. But he just takes out two days' wages, you know, $350, $400, and gives it to the innkeeper and says, here, 
And any more that, that you might spend, I will repay you. I will repay you. And, and this is something I think we, we, um, we look at and think a day's wage, oh, you know, you spend a lot on this person, but think about the, the equivalent today because they would have taken this man to the hospital and essentially said to the hospital, get him better. And whatever it costs, I will pay you. We know the cost of being in the hospital. It's not a couple days' wages. For somebody without insurance, it's thousands of dollars in care. Showing neighborly love, being on mission for God, is costly. But here's the thing. It's going to cost us our money, but I think that that's the easiest thing for us in all of this. We're scared of the risk. We don't want to be inconvenienced. And so if we can write a check, we will write a check. But it also costs us our time. You know, in his inconvenience, I said, you know, he stayed overnight. He, he, he didn't just stop and bandage and carry him on and leave him. He stayed the night. It cost him precious time on this trip to wherever he was going, whatever he was doing. It's going to cost us time. The mission of God is going to cost us time. There are going to be things that we're going to have to say no to to leave margins in our life to be inconvenienced, to show neighborly love to one another, to our community. And, and, and those things aren't inherently sinful. It's just that if we sign up for them and we say yes to them, we're going to have no margins in life to slow down and show neighborly love. We'll have no margins in life to be on mission for God because we're so booked up. And so there might be things that we love to do, that we enjoy doing, that we have to say no to in order to be on mission for God. There'll be things that, that we have to give up to show neighborly love. It, it, it might even cost us things that, that we look to as heritage, as history, to show neighborly love. It, it might mean that, that while we don't see a statue as a symbol of hate, that we have to do the costly thing of giving them up out of neighborly love for those who have looked at them for a hundred years as symbols of hate of dominance. Neighborly love is costly. It is not easy. As I read this parable, I think of one of my former students. His name was Reese. Reese was everything you want your son to be. He was everything that every high school girl wants to date and everything that every father of a high school girl wants their daughter to date. He was a Christian. He, his nickname at the football team was Rev. He was the captain of the football team. He was the prom king and the homecoming king. Um, he, was, he was awesome. And in this story I'm about to tell shows this. Reese was a senior. It was his final midwinter retreat for us, with us. And that meant that he was on a charter bus with a lot of his friends headed to Daytona Beach for a long weekend. And um, 
on the way there, about 30 minutes into the trip, I got on the microphone and said, you know, hey, we, we're working on rooming assignments. What I need you to do is take a piece of paper and write, you know, two or three names on the piece of paper of people you would like to room with and pass it to the front with your name on it. So I, I'm going to work on the rooming assignments now, so when we get there, I can tell you where you're going. After I announced that, I'd been 10 minutes, a few pieces of paper had started to, to trickle up the aisle, and, and then here comes Reese, kind of just sauntering up the aisle, and he sits down next to me and says, Marty, I need you to do something for me. I was like, yeah, man, what, what, what do you need? You know, I'm not stopping, but what do you need? And um, he said, I need you to put Jace, Trey, Darren, and Derek in my room. And um, I was like, well, I can't, I can't, I don't know if I can put four of them in, in your room. And it's like, I actually want shields too, so I want five of them in my room. And we had a few rooms that would ha- had room for six people in it, and, and I was like, um, and he's like, look, just do what I'm telling you to do. Just put their names down next to mine. They're in my room. It's like, whoa, okay. See, and those five, five guys were, um, they weren't going to be on anybody else's piece of paper. There was nobody else on that bus that wanted to room with them. In fact, I had been thinking all week where I was going to put them in a room. I had wondered who I would make suffer for a weekend with them. And here was Reese on his last midwinter retreat with us. You know, the, the one you're supposed to make all those memories with and have the, the, the final goodbye with your buddies on. And what does he do? He gives it all up for the sake of those five young men who were below him. They were freshmen. What, what Reese did was action. He didn't just talk about how we need to love our younger brothers and sisters in our ministry. He did something about it. It was risky. He didn't know how his friends were going to react. He didn't even know how those freshman guys were going to react. It was inconvenient. He gave up all of those memories and opportunities with his buddies. And it was costly. His friends weren't happy. It didn't cost him friendships. But, but those evenings when cabin time came around and it was you in your room with a leader, it wasn't him and his best friends. It was him and five freshman dudes that nobody else wanted to spend time with. There's this picture of being on mission for God. But, but Reese was like that because he understood that somebody else had already been on mission for him. He, he understood that, that God saw the plight of humans, of us, in our sin, in our brokenness, alienated from him, and he acted. Jesus became man and dwelt among us, to walk among us, to know our suffering and our temptation, how inconvenient it was, how much of a risk it was, and it defines costly. It defines costly. And he, he, he went to the cross to bear our sins, to lay down his life and sacrifice for us, to free us to do the same for our community, for our city, for each other. Did Jesus answer the lawyer's question? Who is my neighbor? No, he didn't. He didn't answer the man's question. Instead, as he ends, if you don't notice, he asked that man, Which of these three do you think proved to be 
a neighbor. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. So instead of answering this man's question, he says to the man, before you worry about who your neighbor is, you need to be a neighbor. Before you worry about who your neighbor is, you need to be a neighbor. And then he sends this man and he sends us on a mission. You've heard the story, Sycamore. So hear these words from Christ. When he says, you go and do likewise. Sycamore. Presbyterian Church. Go and be a neighbor. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call to go and be a neighbor. We thank you that Christ first showed us neighborly love costly love, that he has invited us into his mission to go and do likewise. We pray this all in his name. Amen.